Welcome to the Race to Rugby World Cup pod with Ron and Adam from the side of the road, somewhere on the planet. Episode one, Race to Rugby World Cup pod. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I'd never thought I'd ever be on a podcast, um, especially outside of a studio in a hotel room, just soaking it all up. And less than 48 hours before we start heading towards Vintok. Yeah, so let's give our listeners a bit of a an update of you know what what this is all about. So Ron Rutland, uh, the genius of Race to Rugby World Cup, has been cycling around oh, the stop world. It, stop it! <laughs> been cycling around the world for the last ten years, um, and you know just from Rugby World Cup to Rugby World Cup, his first trip kicked off um, in Cape Town Stadium, which, funny enough, we're going to kick off this trip with, and. He headed towards Twickenham or to Brighton, actually, to the the World Cup in England. It's traveling through all the countries of Africa, and um, with the success of that, he jumped on his bike again and cycled from Twickenham to Tokyo for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. And uh, it's obviously bit. And for the last uh, almost year and a half now, Ron's been planning the next journey, which is from Cape Town, essentially, but <laughs> Cape Town with some pit stops here and there. And yeah, we the ultimate goal is to visit the World Cup in Auckland and Paris. Yeah, so I think it's, it's I mean, it's been an absolutely crazy journey when I was in Cape Town in the middle of 2013 and embarked on my first trip, as you say, to first of all, imagine myself arriving at a 2015 World Cup and then if you told me I would have cycled the 2019 World Cup and then would be planning a 2021 World Cup and a 2023 World Cup, I would have told you you're absolutely crazy. So <laughs> um, when you make big, crazy decisions like this, who knows what, you know, how the universe conspires to change the course of your life. And uh, it's pretty exciting for you, hey? It's on the yeah. eve of your first big trip um, with that sort of, well, obviously, excitement of the trip and just saying, well, all in on this and see what happens. Definitely all in. Uh, it's, I guess, I thought you would be more uh, calm after <laughs> 10 years of experience and I could lean on that. But uh, no matter what the trip and the adventure, there's always going to be the same jitters and the same excitement that you got to get. And I'm certainly feeling it with 48 hours to go, um, giving a bit of a description of where we are. We're sitting in a hotel room in uh, Gardens, Cape Town, and... Uh, and we've just got boxes and things, and I say things because it's literally just things all over the place. And slowly but surely, we finding these things a home. And if they don't find a home, they they donated, and <laughs> you know that's minimalism at its finest. Yeah, and that's one of the great joys about uh, seeing the world from the back of the bicycle. And I think just to give people context, obviously the idea is to cycle from World Cup to World Cup. So you know the last World Cup was in Japan. So people might be asking what we're doing in Cape Town. Um, and this journey that we're going to be doing from Japan all the way down to New Zealand for the Women's World Cup, which takes place in 2022, although it's technically the 2021 World Cup, um, and then we'll head across to South America and cycle on towards France for 2023. That journey covers all five continents, um, except our own home continent of Africa. Uh, we are world champions <laughs> as well, um, so we just thought it would be a good idea to make sure we include Africa, particularly Namibia and South Africa being the two teams that will represent South Africa, well, sorry, represent Africa in the World Cup. Um, so we think it's a bit of a prologue, a bit of a warm-up, gives us a chance to test our tech, gives us a chance to do our first podcast. Um, and it gives us a chance to, yeah, just get things in place 
Um, and with all the challenges of COVID at the moment, we've got to try and find a way to get Japan. So I guess we're delaying the inevitable there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think, Ron, I'm going to actually interview you, yeah, and just in all the planning with friends and family, getting the regular questions. Uh, I'm just going to quickly list them now and we can go through them one by one, but it's where do you sleep every night? How did you plan your route? Uh, visa, COVID situation? Um, how many Ks do you do every day? Uh, well, let's start there. Okay, so let's, yeah, and I think this, you know, we are doing a podcast, so let's, yeah, so this is kind of a really good example of what we'll be doing every week. So podcasts have become a thing. We both really enjoy them. Um, and I think for us, it's a unique opportunity to share our story audially, 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 by sound. Um, as we go on this journey, um, we're going to do regular newsletters. We're going to do various um, social media updates and that. Um, but for effectively for us, it's going to be an opportunity to do like a weekly newsletter from the road, uh, share our stories, share our experiences. And we're also looking forward to interviewing people from the world of rugby. Um, and I think that's where, you know, from a, a unique offering, uh, we just want to, I mean, rugby's taken me around the world. Wherever I've gone, um, I've called up a local rugby club and it's incredible that, you know, how widespread rugby is and even beyond the borders of what we consider traditional rugby countries. So we're trying to find characters of the game, people involved in the game at any level whatsoever, whether it's ex, you know, all blacks or ex Springboks or ex greats or people who mow the lawn regularly at their local rugby club. We're looking for these characters, um, what rugby means to them, what rugby, uh, a little bit of our history of rugby in particular countries and just what rugby is doing to help local communities um so we're just both curious people we're, we're both rugby fans so we want to combine all of that and hopefully produce a podcast that people will listen to yeah it's quite a nice little um collab I, I, there was a one person on a show i listened to and his instagram page is all about ramen and watches and so essentially ours is rugby and cycling and adventure and adventure yeah. so yeah that's, and travel and travel yeah people <laughs> people yeah so that yeah those are the themes that you'll kind of um get a grip to like as we go through the, the journey um okay. yeah now i must get back to your questions okay so <laughs> first of all why the route uh yeah as, a, as as we discussed before um obviously following one world cup to the next and i've been you know i, I guess going to the men's world cups um but as the women's game's grown and World Rugby no longer distinguishes between men and women's World Cup. We just do it for the ease of conversation. Um, but the next World Cup's in, in New Zealand. Um, I was always planning on cycling from Japan to France, looking for a route um, to include as much of the world that I hadn't cycled as before. And that's pretty much Thailand South as in Asia and Oceania. I'd never cycled any of the Americas. So hence the, hence the very convoluted route from Japan all the way down to New Zealand through Southeast Asia, um, then hopping across the Pacific to South America, making it all the way South America, Central America, up the east coast of the US, um, then across to Iceland and the UK before a final few days from Twickenham into Paris. So that's the big route. Um, the Women's World Cup, the New Zealand World Cup that was supposed to take place in 2021 has been delayed to this year. So now it gives us the perfect opportunity for a trip that would that was, that's going to take about two years um, to stop halfway um, and to divide into two legs. So we'll be taking the match whistle we'll be get, for the opening game of the Women's World Cup in New Zealand. We'll be delivered that or handed that in Tokyo. Um, we look forward to delivering that on the day of the opening game on the 8th of October, uh, which funny enough, I, I do appreciate World Rugby organizing a South African game to kick off that World Cup. Um, and we'll spend a bit of time in New Zealand um, before changing shirts, jumping on a flight to 
to South America and starting the route, you know, get, sorry, first of all, getting the whistle and then starting the route to the Men's World Cup and delivering the whistle there on the 8th of September, 2023. So that kind of explains the route. Uh, we've explained the prologue, the idea of just doing a little bit in South Africa and Namibia to kick things off. Um, so this journey is going to be somewhere between 40, 40 to 45,000 kilometers of cycling uh, through 45 to 48 countries over 20 months. Um, and that basically, that mass works out to about 500 kilometers per week. Um, and from experience, the last trip that James and I did in 2019 from London to Tokyo, you tend to average 100 kilometers a day. So sometimes when you've got long, flat stretches and the wind's behind you, you can smash 120, 130, 140. Other times when you're cycling over mountains or through the jungles or across rivers or in super hilly places, 60 or 70 kilometers feels like a good day. But overall, it seems to average to 100. And it's amazing. On all my trips, you kind of hit 17 kilometers an hour. Again, seems to be the average. So 100 divided by 17 is somewhere between five and six. <laughs> so that's basically how many hours a day we're going to be in the saddle. Um, and 500 Ks a week, yeah, basically on average five days on, two days off. Um, I know when we head across the outback, we'll probably smash that and it's 4,000 Ks in 30 days, have 30 days on, and then reward ourselves with a week off in Sydney, yeah. for example. Well, there's also contingency we've got to be aware of. Uh, some of our off days might be cooped up in a hotel room just like this yeah for quarantine, quarantine and yeah so exactly so the nice thing with having a bit of that little bit of flexibility which is having a little having those two days off on average means that we can build up some of that time exactly one of us gets ill we need to take a few days off unexpectedly quarantine unexpectedly um just really really bad weather um and sometimes you just go like yo this place is amazing let's just spend an extra day here so it's just nice to have that little bit of bit of flexibility um in terms of uh, accommodation and sleeping, well, that really depends where you are. So tent, sleeping bag, um, uh, you know, all the stuff we need to live, we've, we've got. That's a beautiful thing. Everything in the world that we own is on these bicycles. So you've got, you know, pots and pans and uh, sleeping mats and um, towels and clothes and all that bits and pieces. It all fits on a bike. Um, so we're completely self-sufficient. If we don't find fixed accommodation for weeks on end, we'll be fine. Um, sometimes in bigger cities, um, it's nice to sort of blow the budget a bit and get a bit of a proper accommodation and a good shower and uh, maybe a meal or two out and a few beers. Uh, but again, from experience, we just there's one of the amazing, beautiful things about cycling around the world and cycling through places. You just see the be the best of humanity. Um, and I'm already just I just got a grin on my face just thinking about the people that are going to invite us into their homes, the people that are going to put us up at their mosques and churches and synagogues and um hopefully not too many police stations but you know <laughs> but over time yeah we'll just it's just kind of go there and obviously you know the only day of this trip we've actually planned is day one from <laughs> cape town to cities you know we talk a little bit about that just now but hopefully we'll have 70 80 people joining us for a bit of a, uh, a fundraiser a soft launch for our fundraising activities which we'll talk about extensively just now um and the last three days for, right at the end from twickenham to paris but in between of that Everything's open, and that's the the exciting thing, just being self-sufficient. Yeah, that's epic. I, I always I, – look, I have no credibility on adventure. I think the most I've ever done is like a three-day stage race where people set up your tent for you and you've got boxes sent ahead and so on. So uh, for me to actually even claim I'm an adventurer just yet, uh, it's a bit shady. I, I do believe in, in your – uh, philosophy where it's like the adventure starts when you say I'm in so I guess for the last few months I have been on an adventure yeah. Um, but yeah then uh, just going a little bit back to the sleeping it's like what do, what do we eat 
Because yeah. I don't know. I'm hoping that we have uh, <laughs> some full meals every once in a while, yeah. but I know that's obviously not a reality. Um, so yeah, like let's just jump into that quick. Well, the food is, I mean, uh, it's a standard joke amongst long distance cyclists, but we're basically on a seafood diet. So you seafood, you eat it. Um, there's a one or two uh, very strict rules. Always have something in your handlebar bags so in the front of your bike, have some sort of snacks. Um, and that's whatever's snacks are available. And it, you end up a lot of cheap sugary biscuits, uh, a lot of nuts, a lot of chips, a lot of rubbish, basically. Um, but yeah, and obviously a bit of, you know, bananas and all the classic sort of snacky type food for, for, for endurance sport. Um, but it really is what, you know, I think, again, you, you, wherever there's people, there's food. Um, and one of the joys of traveling is experiencing local food. Um, and, you know, if you're cycling through India, for example, um, there's street food every 50 meters and it's absolutely delicious. It's cheap as chips. Um, and it really ends up being one of the highlight things. Um, I cycle through parts of Africa where, quite frankly, it's an amazing continent, but you wouldn't cycle for the cuisine or you wouldn't yeah. travel there for the cuisine. Um, so it ends up being a lot of like pup, what we call a pup or sadza equivalent with a little bit of um, indistinguishable uh, meat on top or some gravy. Um, and you sort of close your eyes and eat it. And it's, you know, get enough calories to keep going. Um, but we'll be cycling through Southeast Asia. And I mean, that's one of the food hotspots of the world. Yeah. Um, and obviously when we, you know, in a bit more r remote rural places, the classics of oats and, you know, you pick up a box or two of cereal, um, two minute noodles, uh, sardines, um, things that are sort of high dense calories that you can carry. And, uh, neither of us are, are, are cooks or have any interest <laughs> yeah, in cooking itself. I mean, you read these blogs about people sort of gourmet cyclists and they sort of make all these fancy omelets and it's delicious and I'd love to have that, but, um, yeah, it's neither of our strengths, so we'll just uh, do what we can. Yeah, well, like when you read blogs and 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 watch videos about various adventuring, you got kind of almost two types. You've got the people who are doing a like a self journey where they don't want to see human beings for months on end. They go deep into the mountains and very self sufficient. And but we we people we people people if that's a yeah. even a phrase. And so I guess you you've designed and like runs the 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 genius around the route and our route will kind of be pre-planned say a week in advance on uh, we're using commute so if you want to follow around on there but we we always keep in at least a hundred kilometers away from human beings so you know food security will be all right yeah it'll be and again yeah you know, i think part of, i mean i love the idea of just going completely off grid for a certain period of time and exploring the world like that for you know short bursts um but honestly we'll see the most incredible mountains and deserts and sunrise and sunsets and just being outdoors for 600 days is honestly a massive privilege especially after a couple of years of lockdown but what you really 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 remember from these journeys is the people and sometimes it's not it's the simplest moments it's like cycling through a crowded busy street and you know an old lady looks up and sort of gives you a smile or a, or a wink kind of thing or you know kids that run next to you on the bicycles and wave and almost feel like they're cheering you along and just so interested in where you're where you're from um and as i said before the people that you'll say oh can i camp in your garden they say don't be ridiculous come sleep inside and so i mean those human interactions and the fact that we're going through 40 45 48 different countries um there's probably 35 40 different languages um and you know every i mean if you want to talk diversity what we're going to experience is proper proper diversity so that's part of the joy for for us yeah i'm super excited and yeah um jumping on to the the diversity 
The diversity requires travel and entering and exiting different countries' borders and bureaucracy of that. And the question I get, especially as a South African passport holder, is what visa are you traveling on? And just out of like from the get go, just to let everyone know I'm going and we've pre planned a little bit, but I've going on my South African passport and we I'm gonna through hook or by crook get a visa per country. But you know, I don't know if you want to speak about how tricky that's that is. Yeah, I mean it's obviously you know, you can control what you can, and you, we've talked about that a lot recently. But uh, there are certain things that are out of our hands, and you know, having a green mamba or just a South African passport—that's the 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 cards that you, you've been dealt, and effectively we've been dealt. Um, but it's actually when you drill down into the detail, it's actually not that. It's not as hard as people might imagine it. First of all, South America and Central America. Um, of those sort of 15, 20 countries, there's only one or two that you actually need a visa for. Um, it's very, very generous to South Africans. So it's very, very relaxed there. Um, the nice thing with the, going through a little bit of Europe at the end is that, you know, Schengen, once you've got a Schengen visa, which you've already got because we, we did a sneaky trip to Paris a few weeks ago, um, that's in place, similar for the UK. And you actually drill down, down to it. It all just comes down to planning. So you identify the six or seven countries where you need a, a visa, where there is a bit of paperwork and bureaucracy and, they won't let you apply, you know, more than six months before you need them, for example. Um, but again, it's like reaching out to the, the U.S. Embassy in Singapore, which I know you've done an example and trying to get your U.S. visa sorted. So with a bit of planning, um, a bit of support, you know, um, in terms of people back home um, who can help sort of submit documents on your behalf or get, you know, letters from the bank or whatever it is. It just takes a little bit of patience and planning. And, uh, yeah, the reality is that the passport shouldn't be the difference between undertaking a trip or not undertaking a trip in the same way that money shouldn't be in the same way that honestly your health you know you don't you know both of us or particularly me sort of <laughs> so yeah i mean particularly me i'm just trying to make myself feel better but you know i'm probably 15 kilos heavier than i will be when this trip's over it's been a long lockdown living a bit close to the fridge but um so you know what you know what? like if you wait till the perfect time you're never gonna you're never gonna going and uh if you go oh my goodness like you know, I've got a South African passport. Oh, it's just too hard. You'll never get going. So um, I think that's the, again, it's just you look for reasons why you can do things, not why you can't. Eh? Yeah, I think uh, like Ron every once in a while gets asked to do a bit of a talk and he he often speaks about his African trip, which was a 27-month journey. And you always open with, you know, uh, the difference between someone who did an adventure and someone who didn't. The person who did the adventure started and you know that's and that's, made a decision that's, yeah yeah and made a decision like that's that's for me was the biggest thing it was like spent all my life reading about these people doing cool things and kind of like yeah i'd love to do that but they must be richer or but they must be stronger or but or but they must be better connected or but they must have a much better passport or whatever it is and you start actually being honest with yourself and meeting some of these people which for me was key and i realized that's complete bs that person's no different to me. Yeah. <laughs> that person's no better connected. That person's no, well, maybe a bit richer, but that, this, this, all these other reasons. Yeah, that's rubbish. So the only difference is that person made the decision to do it. And I've always had all these excuses in my head, subconsciously, more likely than anything else. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you sort of come out of that wilderness or come out of those weeds and you look through the other side, you go, wow. And it really is anything as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, talking about starting, mm. let's chat about Saturday. The actual start of this journey. Now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forty-eight. Yeah, uh, sorry, forty-eight hours. Less than forty-eight hours. Um, we've both uh, caught catching up here and you know come to Cape Town to do our final preparation. Um, and as I said, the only day we're planning is day one. 
we're cycling to Stellenbosch, which is completely, not completely opposite direction, it's a 90 degree, <laughs> so we go heading straight east, we should be heading north, uh, but it's a lovely town, um, it's an easy place to get people to, persuade people to come for yeah. a, a Saturday lunch. I actually studied in Stellenbosch. So yeah, you I look ahead. forward to you yeah. showing us around some of your horns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's just, oh, well, I mean, you can talk better than I can, just about, I mean, it's the most, for people that not from South Africa or don't know Stellenbosch, is this beautiful, beautiful university town very historical town sort of 60 kilometers away from cape town it's the uh, oldest rugby club in the world is actually based in stendenbosch uh you know we don't need to fact check that but I, i'm pretty sure um, i think it's the biggest rugby club biggest in the world. rugby club but yeah there's a there's a there's a rugby significance yeah. as well yeah, uh, yeah i mean it really is probably the i mean i guess if we had to be honest um for someone from kzn it's hard to say this but it probably is the the, the birthplace or the heart of South African rugby. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, and it's a beautiful little town and it's got a lot of wine farms and it's um, and so it just seems like a nice obvious place to 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 cycle to day one. Uh, but we are doing a bit of a detour and we're going via Kailicha. Um, and South Africa is one of the most, uh, yeah, I guess if we have to be honest, unequal societies in the world. And if you can, if you want to see the the the, the stark difference between the haves and the haves nots in South Africa, it's the cycle from Kailicha to Stellenbosch. Um, so we are going via Kailicha. We are very luckily um, being connected with Vela Kaya. I um, mean, you can talk a little bit about the project, but um, an avalanche who are coming on board um, to support our journey and not directly through giving us bikes, um, but we're going to be working with them and have a mechanism that for every certain, every number of thousand kilometers that we ride, they will donate a certain number of bikes um, to young people or to people in general um who who have a, who aren't as lucky as us and um i think for us it's pretty cool we're still raising money for child fund and just by cycling our bikes avalanche will be giving bikes and basically helping more people get on bikes more bum bums on seats yeah and that's a massive goal for us as people adventuring on bicycles yeah. um but yeah just alluding to the stock like line in the sand of discrimination in in south africa and to be honest a lot of parts of the world mm. Um, and you know, it's, we are, we are privileged that we can do this journey, but we at the forefront of everything we're doing, um, is, you know, to try and better society and, and we pushing for a charity that's close to us outside of Velikai Cycling Academy, mm -hmm. which is an awesome academy. Nick Lamini actually cycled at the Tour de France last year. And he, he's a, he, he was this young student at the Velikai Cycling Academy and you know, if if you're following us on social media, we will definitely upload videos of how little these people have, and for someone to make it from there to the tour is amazing. Um, but yeah, the charity we you know we we close to, uh, especially in the first part of the journey, is Child Fund Rugby, and you know it's it's also a sports for good charity, and it's really just us taking the privileges that we have, and you know showing the world that. There's this charity out there that's doing this great thing for these children uh, is a big part of, of what you know what what our goal is and we, we have we've set ourselves a target. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you want to explain about child. Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah, front and center. I mean, I've been lucky enough to do my first adventure was quite a personal journey and um, I had my own reasons for doing it. Um, but fundraising wasn't at the front and center of it. And as I've done more of these adventures, it has become more and more. I guess the reason or the purpose for undertaking these journeys. And I use 2019 as an example where James and I cycled from London to Tokyo. Um, James used to work for Child Fund, pass it back. They were appointed as official charity partner of the Rugby World Cup in Japan. 
um, the Rugby for Development program that started in Laos. Um, they operate in Vietnam, Timor-Leste, Philippines, Cambodia, do a little bit of work in Fiji. Um, and they basically use the power of sports, and in particular rugby, to help uplift um, communities, to help um, share life skills, to help give people opportunity um, that you know, to people that are some of the most disenfranchised groups within some of the poorest countries on the pl on the in, on the planet, um, and I knew the program pretty well. Um, I used to work at Hong Kong Rugby, <coughs> excuse me, at Hong Kong Rugby, and Hong Kong Rugby used to support them, um, and just through oh, very very a lot of lucky circumstances, zero dip of circumstances, I met James who we worked for the program, so that really gave me. That was really the decision. Well, that was really the, that them being appointed as the charity of the 2019 World Cup was really what prompted me to put that other trip together. And it was the most rewarding year of my life. It was absolutely incredible. Um, we raised about $150,000 in the end for them. Um, and to go and visit the programs en route in Laos and Vietnam, to go meet these young people that James had worked with for many years, to see the impact that him or that this project had made on these young people and vice versa, the impact that these people had on someone like James was just, just, I get goosebumps just thinking about it and, and it was absolute highlights of the journey. So um, I'm delighted that they're the official charity partner of New Zealand 2021. Um, every single thing that we're going to be doing between now and getting to Auckland um, is going to be focused on trying to raise funds for them. Uh, we're going to be cycling about 20,000 kilometers between including our prologue and then from Japan down to Auckland. Um, and the main mechanism is that we're going to be selling off for $10 each every single one of those kilometers. Um, so you are going to make sure that we are relentless on social media. And every single day, we're going to update people on the funds we've raised, on our progress on that front. And just basically trying to, to sort of, I guess, tempt people and to encourage people um, to sort of own a piece of our journey. So you can buy a particular kilometer. Uh, we can buy kilometers in particular countries. Um, and if we can sell 20,000 kilometers, that's $200,000. And I promise you that money just goes an enormous way. It's one of the most transparent, impactful programs you'll get, you'll see anywhere in the world. Um, and I know they have, I'm not sure how much I can say, I'm not sure exactly what, at what stage all of these conversations are happening, but I do know that they have imminent plans of coming to start a program in, in South Africa for the first time. Um, and to know that, you know, while we're cycling in Africa and Namibia in particular, South Africa and Namibia in particular, the funds raised will be coming back here as well. Um, hopefully that is a, gives people comfort that the, that the money is going back into the, the communities in which they live. Um, and yeah, as I said, we've got a very a, um, ambitious and aggressive target of reaching $200,000. Um, but honestly, it, it's just on those days when you wake up and you get out of the tent and it's 40 degrees already in the morning, um, on days, you know, cycling in, in Japan and in late winter and it's sort of wet and cold and your feet are numb and your hands are cold. Um, and you do sometimes, and it happens, you know, you go like, what the hell am I doing? And where's the fun in this? And it really does. You just sometimes take a deep breath and you look down on your, on your, your sort of top tube and perhaps you've got pictures of some of the children. You know, James, we used to have a, pictures of the coaches that we supported and it makes, the, makes a, an enormous difference. It really, really, really does. And it's, um, as I say, just having that sense of purpose just really does put some extra energy in the legs. So stoked about it. Um, it really does. It rings. It, it it makes me super happy. The one story you you really mentioned to me was uh, the story about Lao, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't know you know like the actual details. But the community in Lao, um, the the ladies there were very discriminated against, and um, the you know child. Well, it wasn't child from there, but there were organizations were trying to find a sport to like get 
the ladies of the country and, and younger girls out of the rice fields and the kitchens as they usually are doomed to. to yeah, just to interrupt there, young, young girls, I mean, really get out of primary school. Um, as soon as they're old enough to start working, they, as they get yanked out of school and, as you say, expected to go work in the fields and, and work in the homes. Yeah, and uh, they introduced football, soccer, and, you know, the boys kind of overtook that and said, no, it's a boys' sport. Uh, I'm just using a sport, for example, and they tried cricket and and uh, athletics or whatever, and it kept getting pushed back to being a boys' sport. But then they introduced the rugby ball, which the boys of that country of love never seen before, and they kind of said, well, we don't know what this is. You guys can have that sport. And uh, now Lao is the only country in the world where there's more female rugby players than there are male. Yeah. No, it's it's inc- exactly it's incredible, and it's a fact. First of all, this rugby in Laos is amazing, um, and this yeah, and the fact that there are more female participants than male participants. I think Vietnam's pretty close as well, thanks to Child Fund, and and Child Fund they'll be the first to tell you that they're not out there trying to find the next Sia Khaleesi. They're not out there to try and produce the best rugby players on the planet, or even the best rugby players in the country. Although in places like Laos, they are, you know, <laughs> um, they're really using the rugby as a almost as an excuse to get young people together to get them something that they can um you know enjoy and participate in uh but those sessions are very very structured um a lot of thought and planning has got into them and roughly half the sessions is around teaching young people life lessons to give them confidence to go out there and you know say that they're worth more than just being a rice farmer they're more than just sort of cleaning the dishes in the family home um and they should be have at least the same opportunities as their brothers um so it really is you know remarkable to see and then the stories that james would t- talk about about individual examples of these young coaches going to, knocking from door to door to door to go and get the young girls to practice um and sort of you know standing up to their parents and saying no they've got rugby practice they must come now um it really is very very inspiring and um yeah some of those as you say like the, the young girls and the boys that play there have now fallen in love with the, the game of rugby and have started their own teams. Uh, they go and participate in tournaments um, in, you know, in the region. And um, I don't know, they've come to places like Hong Kong. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really like almost a side of, you know, a, a unexpected consequence is that you now have created this whole sort of generation of rugby players that are just playing the sport because they love it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, super pumped. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to see the program when I get there. Um, I know you've yeah. seen it already and yeah. Uh, cannot wait and i feel good that every kilometer that we cycle hopefully we sell them off and mm-hmm. uh, the money can go and help help this change yeah, so please yeah, visit our website and we'll, we'll put it we'll put it on the show notes yeah. our website and the various links and things like that and this prologue we you know it's race to rugby world cup.com um it's still a bit of a landing page and a holding page at the moment but by, by the time we get to japan and start the race to rugby world cup proper uh, we'll, we'll all be sort of looking all fancy and, and properly organized. Um, but the links to, to make a donation, links to buy a kilometer up there. And please, just $10 a kilometer. If you can afford one by one, if you can afford 10 by 10, whatever you feel comfortable doing. And just, just know that every single cent that we raise goes directly to Child Fund Passer Back. Um, and they are used over and over again as an example of being, you know, one of the most impactful um, charities you can imagine in the sport for development space. So it really is money worth worthwhile. Awesome. Well, Ron, do you have any uh, fine small notes to mention whilst we're in this room? Uh, I know like we haven't cycled a kilometer and the adventure junkies out there are quite keen to know what happens on the route, but I think we've summed up a little bit of what's been happening in the last few months. Uh, Anything missing? Uh, Maybe we can introduce, uh, this isn't actually just a a two-man team. 
Uh, we have uh, Catherine in the background who's going to also be helping us produce yeah. this podcast and uh, and helping facilitate logistics and stuff. Yeah, um, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah, I and mean, that's the point. I've actually got a notebook here. Um, for those of you just listening, you won't, obviously won't be able to see it. But I was sitting down last night just thinking about you know Adam and I are going to be the ones getting to enjoy the journey and getting to cycle forty five thousand k's, um, and you know we both worked our proverbial asses off to get us to get ourselves to the start line but i was just thinking like i've been suffering from itb badly in the last sort of six months and this is just one example so i've got a list here of andrew hill Haley silverite uh, angela ensler nikki aylward james fleming bryce jackson lou seville and bron bates so that's eight or nine people who've all basically done everything they can to help me prepare physically for this journey. So unfortunately there's no dietitian on that list, so it's pretty it's a little bit chunky, but just to <laughs> but just to like everybody who's been so invested in this journey and have bent over backwards and given up their time and their expertise just to help me sort of recover from that as an example. Um, and we met your mate Brendan yesterday who works on our documentary. Yeah. Um, and he's from very generously going to be doing producing the sound, producing these podcasts for us. Um, out of the kindness of his heart, he just loves the story. Um, as you say, Kath, who's um, an old friend of yours, and uh, you know, circumstances have just been, again, very serendipitous. And you know, we've got so much that we're committing to in terms of content, wanting to share our story, and ultimately with the purpose of, of trying to raise funds for Child Fund. Um, and you know, we we'll talk about sponsors and World Rugby, and there's so much more we can talk about in future episodes. But to make sure that we can be as impactful with our storytelling, to make sure that we're as organized as possible, to make sure that you know we get our passports sent backwards and forwards, just to have somebody who's got our backs, basically, somebody who's who's there for us. And um, yeah, I very much look at this as being a sort of a three-person, see, a three-person team, directly plus indirectly, the hundreds of people that are already getting behind us, the people that have bought names for our bikes. Yeah. Um, you're a lot more popular than I. You've got three of your <laughs> sort of three of three quarters of your bike covered in names of people that have contributed and effectively crowd crowdfunding our bicycles. So yeah, we 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 certainly, you know, there'll be times when we're out there and we it's just you and I, we've sort of running out of things to say and uh, and uh, we might be just, you know, what's it all about and why we're doing this. But you know, I think we both know that we've been incredibly supported and we will be incredibly supported. And, um, yeah, hopefully this is this podcast is a way of sort of sharing our experiences and uh, in some small way, thanking everybody who's been a part of this journey. Epic. Ron, do you want to wrap it up and maybe give them uh, a tease of where we might be next? Yeah, so um, this is episode one of the Race to Row World Cup pod. I mean, it's still crazy. We're committing to do at least 60 of these over the course of the journey. Um Hope and I, we were laughing yesterday, saying if we really, this is our first episode, <laughs> and uh, when we get to to France in September twenty three, and we record our sixtieth or eightieth or hundred episode, um, I hope we've improved, <laughs> <laughs> so a continuous improvement. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to be doing roughly once a week or once every ten days, um, and we've actually lined up our first guest for the new for our first podcast for day two of our trip, um, Peter Steph de Toy, World Rugby Player of the Year in twenty. 19 uh, his dad and family own a wine farm and olive farm um sort of 40 k's outside of paul so that'll be our day too and they're very going to kindly host us for a late breakfast and we'll be interviewing mr detoy um and looking at yeah just under just you know his experience of rugby what rugby's yeah. meant for him and who knows where the conversation goes so um and we're then heading into namibia and we've got a few surprise guests um lined up but uh, yeah please if you like this podcast share it uh, tell your friends about it if you don't like it don't tell them about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, 
I think this is going to be super fun. We're looking forward to it. We're carrying it. adds about two and a half kilos of extra equipment yeah. um, to our thing. But we, yeah, we're just going to have fun doing it. Um, and I say, please go to our website. Um, please look out for the give and gain link. If you feel inspired, please please donate what you can. Um, and as I say, we just look forward to sharing this journey with you. Epic. Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, until next week. Cheers. <laughs>